0: Our Old Testament scripture readings are found in Genesis 18, verses 1-15, and chapter 21, verses 1-7. I invite you to follow along with me in your Bibles, or listen as I read them aloud. First, Genesis 18, verses 1-15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Follow me over to Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One Ancient Hope, it's, it's good to be with
1: you this morning on this, this cold, chilly November day. Um, it was a hard thing, I think, not to put out the, the outside seating this morning, sort of a, the, the realization of the inevitable, that the winter is upon us. But still very thankful for, for all the ways that we can come together as a church, um, all the different ways that, 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 that people are gathered together and taking part in the service. And as we say every week when we talk about the church coming together, it's, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that creates us as the church. It's the Word of God that, that calls us together, and it's the Word of God that, that crafts us, that continues to change us into what God intends us to be. And it's with that truth, and it's with confidence in that truth, that we come together before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that it gives. And we thank you, Lord, that when it gives us promises, it does not take lightly the pains, the difficulties, the trials of this world. And when we look at these passages, we see your promise of hope, breaking into very difficult circumstances, very painful circumstances. But we know, Lord, that you work all things according to your promise, for our good and for your glory. And with that confidence, let us understand to give our heads, to give our hands, to give our hearts, Lord, To what you mean to tell us in this passage. It's in the name of Christ we pray in the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, if 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 you'll remember, actually, we're we're returning to an account that we've actually spoken about before. But we're going to look at it under a different aspect. We, We we looked earlier at the account of the Lord visiting the tent of Sarah and Abraham, but we looked at the way that it led to Abraham's intercession on behalf of the city of Sodom. But here we're looking at it under a different aspect. We're looking at how it leads to the birth of Isaac. Because what happens is the Lord comes to the tent, and one of the things that he does is he reiterates the promise that has long formed the life of Abraham and Sarah. We find in Genesis 18, 10 through 12, When Sarah hears this promise, this promise that in a year she will give birth to a son, what is her response? Well, it's a response of of laughter, but then what kind of laughter is it? Is it a laughter of sarcasm or sincerity? Is it a laughter of celebration or cynicism? Is it a laugh of bitterness or of belief? It's a bitter laugh. It's, it's the laugh of a person who is struggling with hope. It's a person who's struggling to trust in the promise of the Lord. And we understand where Sarah is coming from because when she's looking around at what's happening, when she's looking around at her uh, situations, there's not much, if anything, that's commending to her the fact that she will give birth to a child. Her entire life, she struggled with infertility. And here we are told that the way of women had ceased to be with her. And what we have here is a kind of euphemism telling us that she has already experienced menopause. In light of these realities, what happens? Well, we're told that Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? This is not a laughter that Sarah shares with others. This is not a laughter of community. This is not a laughter that brings people together in joy and fellowship. This is a laughter of being alone. We're told here that Sarah laughed to herself. She laughed to herself. She laughed by herself. And this was a laughter that she did not intend anyone else to hear. But we can go further, because what is here rendered as she laughed to herself could actually be more literally translated. She laughed by means of her entrails. She laughed by means of her inward parts. And think about that. What that means is the very things by which Sarah laughs, those inmost parts, It's these that are the very things that have frustrated her lifelong desire to have a child. These inward parts by which she laughs are her infertile parts. And there's a bitter irony here. These very things, these inward parts that God intends to use to bring about his promise, these are the very things that Sarah uses to laugh at the promise of God. It is because of this body, she seems to say, which has never worked the way that I hoped, because of this body that has been a continual source of lament and grief, because of this body which has mocked me my whole life. It is because of this body that I know the harsh realities of life, and so it is with this body, by means of this body, that I laugh at the promise of God. Sarah seems to say, I know myself, I know my body, I know my inward parts, and they are no cause for belief, only a cause for bitterness. Yet Sarah not only laughs to herself, she not only laughs by herself, Sarah also laughs at herself. And we'll talk about later a kind of laughing at that has joy, but, but that is not what we find here. And we know this because of the, the, the harsh language that Sarah uses to describe herself. She says that she's, she's worn out. She speaks of herself as a kind of tool or a kind of a product that is used up, expired, broken, obsolete, or far past its prime, and so simply needs to be discarded. We get a glimpse into how Sarah sees herself here. And so we find that the ultimate object of this bitter laughter is not the promise of God, but it's Sarah herself. And so what are we to make of all this? Well, among other things, here we encounter the fallen human condition. Sin has left us in a state of corruption, and not only has it turned us, and our hearts against God, but it's also left our bodies broken. We will experience disease, disability, dysfunction, death. This is not the way it's supposed to be, but it's the way that it is. We may or may not be facing problems of fertility in our own lives, but all of us do and will face problems. And in all of these, we will encounter the laughter of bitterness. We may or may not laugh at ourselves, but one day, and in some way, shape, or form, our culture will laugh. It's a cruel taskmaster, and it requires us to hold on tightly to the very things that's always slipping through our fingers, namely youth and all of the things that come with it. For instance, take our culture's obsession with with beauty. Even if every day makes us looking a little older, we will do everything we can to keep looking youthful. But this is a lost cause. It's a surefire source of grief and lament. As the actress and writer Joan Collins famously said, the problem with beauty is it's like being born rich and becoming poor. One day, good looks will be gone, and the attention that came with them will shift to other younger people. And if we try to hold on, the culture will laugh. We may be at the top of our field, we may be a rising star in our company or field, but at a certain point, we will retire. And while our work that we've, we've done may contribute significantly, consistently to our local community, we ourselves will be forgotten and we will likely be replaced by others who will smirk when we talk about the days gone by. We may be healthy, but one day our body will break down. It may happen soon, or it may happen many, many years from now. It may happen suddenly, or it may be a process in which case we will need the help of others. And it's in these vulnerable situations that we need love and service and respect. But it's in these very situations that the culture often rolls its eyes and dismisses our very dignity. So then the question is, when we encounter this laughter, what is it that we, ourselves, will do? We can double down our our illusions and fight against this laughter. We can tell ourselves, yes, my physical beauty will never fade. Yes, this company will always need me and my career will never be forgotten. Yes, if we just find the right medical treatment, then even the problem of aging itself will be solved. Yes, if we can just download our consciousness into computers, and and this is a real suggestion by the way, then we will never have to die. Or we can join the laughter. We can laugh at ourselves with the same cynicism and cruelty of the culture that surrounds us. And this is what Sarah does. She protects herself from the scorn of others by laughing with them. Each culture has its own modes of cruelty, and one form that took in her culture was to dismiss women who struggled with infertility. And so what has Sarah learned to do? She's learned to laugh with them. Even more, she has learned to laugh by the very inward parts that are to blame. She laughs by means of her inward fertile parts, and we often do the very same thing. We take our deepest pains, we take the things that we fear the most, and in order to prevent others from laughing at us, we use them as a means of laughing at ourselves. We laugh by means of our fading good looks, and we laugh bitterly at ourselves, scorning those who have the physical beauty of youth. We laugh by means of our fading careers, and we laugh bitterly at ourselves, scorning, at tho- scorning those who are coming to replace us. We laugh by means of these things because it's a way of protecting ourselves from the pain that they cause. And just like Sarah, to laugh like this is to laugh alone. It's isolating. Rather than sharing our pain with others, we, we hide it. We use it as a means to mock ourselves and to cover our sadness with laughter, trying to convince ourselves that the sadness isn't really there. And this is a bitter laugh. Sarah is alone in the tent, but Sarah is much, much more alone than that. But there is one who does hear her. There is one who knows her bitterness. There is one who sees the sadness that Sarah seeks to cover. It's the Lord that hears Sarah laugh. He hears her laugh of self derision. He hears her words of self derision as she calls herself worn out. The Lord hears it, but the Lord speaks much more gently with her. He rephrases, her harsh words, eliminating the derision. He says, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? There's no notion of being worn out here. Sarah laughs alone, but she is not alone. The Lord hears her. He's gentle with her. He does not speak to Sarah as Sarah speaks to herself. And the Lord does not speak to us as we speak to ourselves. We are cruel to ourselves. We laugh at ourselves. We laugh to hide our deep pains. But God sees through this. There is nothing that is covered or hidden from him. God sees it. God knows it. And he does so better than we do. In fact, the, the, the pain that we experience is meant to be a kind of invitation. It's something that's meant to make us turn to god something that causes us to trust in him and rely upon him as romans eight twenty twenty one 21 tells us for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god We talk about futility here, and what here is defined as futility is is what we might call a teleological term. It it speaks of creation not working according to to its proper purpose, not working like it's meant to work. As New Testament scholar James Dunn writes of this sense of futility, it, it here speaks of an object which does not function as it was designed to do. And so Paul here is telling us that the things in creation do not work according to their proper telos, their proper purpose, their proper end. Sarah's inward parts are infertile. Our inward parts carry sickness, maladies, dysfunctions, all kinds of pain. And to be sure, every day brings us closer to death because one day we will be subjected to the futility of death where our body will really serve no purpose at all. But there's also an important truth here, one that we can't forget. Creation has been subjected to futility in hope. God has placed a curse of thorns and thistles and toil and pain and dysfunction upon creation and upon us But he's done so in hope. Yes, this corruption is a punishment for sin, but it's also intended to bring us to hope, to lead us into restoration. God has subjected all of creation to futility in order to liberate us from the bondage of corruption. As strange it is to say, he subjected us to futility in order to rescue us from futility. And so what exactly does this mean? Well, let's return to Sarah. Here, her infertility becomes the means of her bitter, protective laughter. She looks at her own resources, and she knows that she herself cannot bear a child. Her bodies, like all of our bodies, are subjected to futility. They don't function, they don't work like they're meant to work. And one day, they will cease to function completely. Yet, what the text here calls her inward parts, these sources of futility, the things by which she laughs, her pained laugh. Well, this is the same Hebrew word used to speak of the entrails, used to speak of the inward parts of the sacrificial animals. These are the inward parts of the sacrificial animals that are offered up on the altar. These are offered to God. So to speak of these inward parts is not just to speak of a biological term, but of a liturgical, a worship term, a term that speaks of the service of God. And in a sense, this is exactly what Sarah herself is called to do. She's called to take her inward parts, the very sources of her greatest grief and pain, and to offer them to God. She is to say, God, here is my futility. Here are the ways that my body doesn't work like it's supposed to work. Do with it, God, what you will. I place them on the altar and I present them as a means to come to you. And it's this futility that makes us realize our powerlessness, our lack of control, our complete dependence upon God. And so as painful as our futility is, it's God's invitation to trust in and to rely upon him. It's those painful inward parts that each and every one of us bears, whether in body or in soul, that we're called to place on the altar. And so God is calling us to pray, to learn to pray, to say, Lord, my body is sick There's nothing that I can do. I give this futility to you. I offer these inward parts to you. Do with them what you will. Lord, my heart is broken. I am bitter or angry or despairing or jealous or lustful or spiteful. I give this futility to you. I offer these inward parts to you. Do with them, Lord, what you will. Lord, my career has proved only toil and thorns and thistles. I'm cynical or envious, exhausted or just plain crushed. I offer these inward parts to you. Do with them what you will. Lord, help my pain, my disappointment, my bitterness. Help it to be a means of coming to you. Make my hopelessness give way to hope Help me to know that this is why you have subjected me, as difficult as it is, to futility. And to be sure, we we all have certain ways that we hope that each of these things will work out. We have certain ways that we would want God to work. Sometimes he does, but often he doesn't. And I say this with trepidation, but God sees, God does this because he sees what we cannot see. He uses all things, especially those deep sources of grief and lament, to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He orchestrates all things for our good, even if we cannot see good at all in the circumstances that we are facing. He subjects us to futility for the purpose of hope. There's a scene in the, in the Charlie Brown Christmas special where, where Lucy asks Schroeder to play Jingle Bells on the piano, and, and at first, Schroeder plays a rich, a beautiful textured version of Jingle Bells. But with the added nuance, Lucy actually can't recognize the song for what it is, and she complains, no, no, I mean Jingle Bells. So what does Schroeder do? Well, he, he, he plays it a few more times and each time it's, it's, it's a little less complex, it's a little simpler until finally he's reduced to just hitting one note at a time. Bing, 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 bing. To which Lucy enthusiastically responds, that's it. And we are just like that. God has promised good to us He's promised us better than we can possibly imagine, but the complexity and the nuance and complications of our life overwhelm us. We lose the promise. We we lose the tune. God is orchestrating all things into a rich rendition of a beautiful song, but what we want, what we expect, is that simplistic version of jingle bells that's rattling around in our head. We're all like Lucy. We want a simpler song a simpler promise, a simpler world, a simpler God. God has subjected us to futility to rescue us from futility? He subjected us to hopelessness to give us hope? This is not a simple tune. This is a complex symphony. So I ask this with trepidation. Are we wasting our pain? We all carry burdens. Are we taking them to the Lord? This is what God intends for us to do with the pain that we bear. He may heal us according to our wishes, or he may not. But either way, he will draw close to us. He will speak gently to us, and he'll speak gently over us. God does not speak to us as we speak to ourselves just as he didn't speak to Sarah as she spoke to herself. And so the futility that we bear is meant to be a divine invitation to the love of our good and gracious Father. In Sarah's case, God works as he promises to heal her body from the futility that it suffers. He heals her inward parts. The Lord visits Sarah as he promised, and Sarah bears a son but it's important here not to miss a crucial point. Yes, God subjected creation to futility, but he still loves his creation. We're told again in 1812, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And what is here rendered as pleasure might be more literally translated as sexual delight. For years, sex has been a source of discouragement for Sarah. Because of the futility of creation, relations with her, with her husband Abraham have not fulfilled their procreative purpose. Each time of inti- intimacy has been a reminder of her infertility. But now, at this age, shall she have sexual delight? Will sex be for her something other than a source of sadness? God loves his creation. He's committed to rescuing it from futility. But in doing so, he does not bypass his creation. Isaac does not appear out of thin air. Rather, God works through the sexual intimacy of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac is conceived bodily, and he grows bodily in Sarah's womb. Yes, God will bring healing here. But Abraham and Sarah must continue to do the thing that produces babies. Without that, there will be no Isaac. And this tells us that God continues to work within a broken creation. He loves it. He refuses to take away its dignity. And the same is true for us. For example, perhaps some of the health problems we have would be more manageable with a healthier life. Not all, but let us pray for health, but also let us take care of our bodies. Just as with Abraham and Sarah, God works through the means of creation. God works through avenues of health and medicine. That's one of his many gifts to us. Or perhaps you're worried about a friend who is far from God. And we have to remember that the change of a human heart, that turning of a human part, that deepest, inmost part of ourselves, when that turns to God, that's a miracle no less miraculous than the birth of Isaac. But God works this miracle through the hands and the feet and the mouth of the church. Without sharing the gospel of Christ, the miracle of turning to Christ cannot take place. Just as with Abraham and Sarah, God works through the creational means of words and meals and service and hospitality. And perhaps when it comes to sharing the gospel, we feel like Sarah did towards intimacy. Sex had not been a delight, it had been a source of of discouragement. Do we feel the same way when we think about talking about Christ with our friends and, and family? Could it ever be anything other than a source of, of discouragement, a source of alienation? Well, well, yes, if, if God works through those words and the hearts of those we love to give life to those hearts and turn to him. And what used to be a source of discouragement will one day be a source of hope, of gladness, of fellowship. And when the miracle of Isaac comes what does Sarah do? She laughs again. We find in Genesis 21, 6, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And this is not the bitter laughter that she had before. This is a laughter of, of joy. It's not a laughter that protects from the laughter of others, but one that invites the joy of others, And it's interesting here because Sarah draws specific attention to laughing with others in her exclamation. This is a laughter that brings people together, not a laughter that isolates. And here she's laughing at herself, but she's doing so in a very different way. We see that even the name Isaac itself means he laughs. Why did Sarah laugh before? Because of her harsh self-assessment. Because of the futility that she bears, she treats herself as an object of mockery, of ridicule, of derision. But here, she has a different judgment of herself. As humans, one of our constant temptations is to believe that God is a judge just like us. We think that God judges us just as we judge ourselves. We think that God is as harsh to us as our own self-talk. We think that God thinks as little of ourselves as we do. And if God is just like us, well, then that means that all of our laughter is always going to have the tinge of bitterness. So then why is the laughter of Sarah so joyful? Well, it's because God has used her, the most unlikely of persons, to carry forward his plan of redemption. Her in her infertility has brought forth a son who will be the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And by her own judgment, there's no way that she could fulfill this purpose. But by the judgment of God, the barren will give birth to a son. And so why can Sarah laugh? Because she knows she's the last person humanly qualified to carry out this purpose. But God has chosen her for this very reason, and so what we have here is not an irony of ridicule, but an irony of rejoicing. And So we need to ask ourselves, can we laugh at ourselves with joy? Or do we take ourselves too seriously? Do we feel that we are completely unqualified to do what God has called us to do? Well, we, we are unqualified, and in fact, we're much more unqualified than we think. And this realization should bring laughter that God uses us, the messes that we are, to carry out his miraculous purposes. And if we can't laugh at the fact that God has chosen us, us who are these unqualified messes, then we are taking ourselves much too seriously. The whole point of salvation is being given the very last thing that we deserve. And this brings us to our closing, back to the judgment of God and how it differs from the harsh judgment of ourselves and our culture. When God looks upon Sarah, he sees what he will make her. God is like a sculptor who who never just sees a chunk of misshapen stone, but he sees the beautiful artwork into which he will craft us. And the the same is true for us when we are in Christ by faith. If we are in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees the beauty and the joy of the perfect human life. If we are in Christ God sees us as humanity as it's meant to be. Yes, the righteousness that we received by Christ is the imputed righteousness of Christ. We receive that by by faith. It's an alien righteousness. But one day, we too will be resurrected with Christ, and we too will live a life of perfect righteousness. Because Christ's present is our future. And so, while when we look at ourselves, we see a misshapen and knobbly acorn, God sees a beautiful and majestic oak tree. If we are in Christ, this is what God sees when he looks at us. And if this is what God sees, then we can laugh with joy rather than bitterness. We can be freed from taking ourselves too seriously. When God sees us, he sees us in the fulfilled hope of the resurrection, when we are fully freed from futility and corruption. And I don't mean to be insensitive here or to take the tragedies, the pains we bear too lightly, but I've heard it said that whatever it is that pains us, it's nothing that a good resurrection won't fix. This is that for which we groan, and this is that which God has granted. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you speak gently to us. We thank you, Lord, that you do not speak to us as we speak to ourselves. We thank you that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who experienced the pains of futility to rescue us from the corruption that we bear in a million different ways. Lord, help us to laugh with the joy that comes from your promise, your hope. Help us to laugh with the joy that comes with knowing how you yourself see us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.